That's improv, bitch. Im- improv, bitch. I mean, after all, you're nerds. Im- improv. Nerds. Im- improv. Nerds. Im- improv. Nerds. This is Improv Nerd. I'm Jimmy Corain, and this is the podcast where improvisers get to talk about themselves and their craft. And this is episode one, and I couldn't be more excited about our first guest today, Susan Messing. Now, I've known Susan a long time, way over 20 years, and we first met at the Improv Olympic back in 1986. Uh, They called it the uh, Improv Olympic back then. Now they call it I.O., and since then, she's gone on to do shows on the main stage at Second City and tons of shows at the Annoyance Theater, including her long-running hit, Messing with a Friend, which has run for five years. And the thing that I find so amazing about Susan, not only is she developed into probably one of the best uh, improvisers in, in the city of Chicago, also an incredible teacher, but that wasn't always the case. We've yes. known each other going back to the I.O. We've known each other since we both started improvising. Right. And what was it like when you started the I.O.? Because I'm going to tell you something. When I was doing this research, I'm like, Messi has never had an easy time. Now you're this improv icon and this god. I know you're going to play that. I'm, I'm you know, the humble stuff. Okay. But you, you didn't have it easy when we started back in, what was it, like 85? No, 86, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So tell us about that. I mean, you had a rough road there. Well, I, I wonder, you know, maybe if I was born like my child, who seems like she was born fully evolved, that'd be the case, but I'm a little dumb. I, I, it takes me a long time to figure it out. Um, when I started, I had just been a horrible theater major at Northwestern. I was a terrible actress, the worst actress ever. And I remember my junior year, I auditioned for some sort of, this woman had this improv thing which I'd heard of uh, downtown, which is a big deal. Uh, and so I went and auditioned for it, and I didn't get it. And the year before that, my sophomore year, I had auditioned for Dan Patterson for the Meow Show at, at, at uh, Northwestern, which was their big comedy yeah. thing. And I didn't get it either. And the guy, Dan Patterson, who did that was this English guy who ended up starting the show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? So it must have been somewhere in the back of my head that this is something I wanted to do. And when I graduated Northwestern, I didn't... I didn't want to be in Second City. I didn't, couldn't even conceive of myself there. But I knew this thing called improv might be that thing I wanted to try. And when I started, you know, Sharna, who is now one of my very best friends. Sharna um, Halperin. Yeah, who runs I.O. Right. She was one of those guy girls. You know uh-huh. what I mean? She loved the guys. And she had two favorite women who were Honor Finnegan, great woman, mm-hmm. and Madeline Long. And so when I started, she really gave me the hard note. Constantly, constantly. It was so bad, and I went home crying every night. And until one day I did a music class with her, and I remember during the break, and that for me was like breathing, making up shit. You know, that's like what you did in your tub as a kid. So I came into class, and I fucking killed that day. I was like, oh, this shit's easy. And during the break, she was in the bathroom with me, and she said, I'm going to be really hard on you because one day you're going to be invaluable to me. And so I and she put me on a bunch of teams. Wait, you have to understand, when you're at I.O., the, the, whatever team was the first team that was going to break up was called Blind Faith. You remember this? Yes. I was on about 11 Blind Faiths that year. Right. And finally she stuck me. Then she decided to have teams with names, but they were all alphabet letters. Remember? Right. A, a team, B team, yes, G, team G, C team, G, and the D, D team. team. There was also an E team. Right. Um, I was on the D team. And... Uh, 
she put me with a bunch of guys, and I thought, you know, it's going to be like blind faith. They're going to break up. And they didn't. They ended up becoming a great team called Blue Velveeta with awesome human beings. And at the time, to have a girl on your team was a real coup. That was, people that was don't like a, realize that if you girl. had a girl on it, it was like gold. Yeah, like, like a talented girl. A girl. No, just a girl. Anything. There's a choice. Fuck that girl or Sharna. I mean, right. that was your choice. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that's in her second book. That's in that Art by Committee. Yes, yeah. right. That's right. Um, but but I, I thought they were just going to rip me a new asshole, and I walked in, they're like, oh, good, we have a girl. And that day, I became better, just by that kind of acceptance. But the thing is, you didn't have it easy either on that team. No, I think you, I did. I, mm, did I not? I think you had, you know, because you had... I was such a fucking masochist, I wouldn't have known the difference. Okay. <laughs> Tell me. Okay, well, I think... You had this style, even then, of being a little outrageous, a little dangerous, a little blue. Wouldn't you say? No, I think that was when I met Mick. Mick was was our coach for Blue Velveeta. The guys had no issue with content with what I did because because we always protected content. But when I met Mick and he started doing all that Metroform stuff and then right. Metroform was before Annoyance. Right before Annoyance, it was a group called Metroform because I think they played at the Cafe Metro, and. Uh, they were always trying these new forms. One night, it was called Nimbus, and Mick would come up to a group of people, and let's say Noah was directing it that week. He would say, your theme is clown. And Noah would say, well, what is that? And he'd go, figure it out. And then he'd walk away. So then we'd perform these horrible new forms. And they were, but they were fun. They were really fun to do. Mick's style, he had a perverse, and I don't mean sexually, but it was just a twisted sense of, of viewing the world that for some reason tickled me, and it always has. And so I feel like I could play any way that somebody would want me to play in order to support what the room needed, because I wasn't interested in alienating my audience. But at the same time, when somebody said, would you like to do this? Of course you're going to pick that. That's your favorite panel. You know what I mean? Well, so do you... So I don't think that the guys on, the guys on Blue Velveeta only gave me a problem when... Tommy Booker, who's on my team as well. And he was also at The Annoyance with us, Right. We were doing a show called Co-Ed Prison Sluts. That was the show that actually formed The Annoyance. Mm -hmm. And so Tommy and I would go and do a Herald at 8 and then jump into the car to go do a 10.30 show, do Co-Ed. And at the time, Blue Velveeta was the the hot team. Right. And they wanted to headline a show. meant that you didn't open the show. You waited for the headliner. And... They, we would, in order for all of us to be there together, we would have had to go up earlier. And Blue Velveeta was like, no, we're the headliner, so you can come and do the opening, which was a musical option, and then you can come later after that first team and do the dream, but then you'll have to leave. So they sat us down, I think it was Mitch and Jay sat us down and said, you have to make a choice between us or the annoyance, because they, because it was part of having that, that, that cachet or, right. and let's or just that say, status. And at that time, the annoyance really, we hadn't hit yet. No, we hadn't done anything, but it no. didn't matter. Right. I, I kind of thought there was something in my mind though. finally, as much as I wanted to be at the table anywhere I was, and whatever I would have to do to be at the table, I thought to myself, well, that's weird. I think I'm going to make the choice for the people who wouldn't make me make a choice. The annoyance wouldn't say, don't do I.O. No. or don't do Second City. But let me say this. Okay. There was there was there was an anti when we first started there and it's changed in the community in the yeah, last yeah, we were the island of misfit toys. Well, island of misfit toys and if anybody went to Second City or if anybody still had allegiance towards the IO, there was a little like That was from the annoyance, but that right. wasn't from me. I mean, no. that wasn't yeah. That but, wasn't but this is It the was person. very territorial back then. Yeah, I guess okay. so. Yeah. But so 
what happened was, is after our run at I.O. kind of went, and Tommy and I did this, later on, Sharna had some sort of national team competition called the Southern Comfort Comedy Team Challenge. In order to get a liquor company to glom onto anything at that time, they kind of had it covered in a piece of cheese. So they, they you know what I mean, like put the pill in a piece of cheese, give it to your dog when there's thunder. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, at the time, they had this big competition, and Sharna asked me to come back and Tommy to come back, and we did. We, we loved our team. We didn't want to leave our team. We just had to make a choice at that time. I never kind of went, fuck you, I.O., nor did I ever... I've never said fuck you to any building I've been in. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. People would... If they, you know, since I've known you in I.O. and then annoyance, people would say, Susan's really talented, but she's crazy. Did you ever hear that? Yeah, I heard that. But Mick, Mick pushed that agenda. What do you too. mean Mick, Mick pushed that agenda? Well, Mick I remember Mick your... saying that to me until one day I turned to him and I said, you can't play that game anymore. So I'm not crazy. I'm, I'm just not. I mean, I, I'm different, but I'm not insane. <laughs> I, would I say I've made poor choices? Absolutely. I'm, I'm, that I am here and alive is a great testament to some tiny, tiny inner spirit that just didn't want to die or, or suffer in my own juices or maybe evolve. Now, you know? when, when we were together at Annoyance, you yep. did a lot of great shows. You did Coed Prison Slugs. Yep. You did uh, Miss Vagina Pageant, the yeah. Brady Bunch. But Miss Vagina Pageant was the show that got you an audition for Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. And then you, you, you and what, five of the cast members? No. Well, actually, ultimately, going to New York, it was just Melanie and Betty and I. Okay. What happened? You were so close. Well, what happened was I found out... Uh, Two years after the audition, I found out what really happened. Okay. But I can tell you what happened at the audition. Okay, and then I'll tell they, you what the rumor on the street was. Well, I, <laughs> I can tell you what the rumor on the street was. <laughs> I just found out, unfortunately, two years after when I could have used it. Okay. Because um, everything is a grow, you know, it's good to grow. No big deal. I remember going to New York. There were nine women that they had called across the country. This was in 1990. Um, they called nine women from across the country, three of us from the Annoyance, from the Miss Vagina pageant. And by the way, Quincy Jones and Lorne Michaels came to see the Miss Vagina pageant one night, and that's how they kind of picked us. But you have to understand, I was playing a woman in blackface. Um, <laughs> women of, because I played Miss New York, I was, I was an, an imposter. Women of color with Aryan features are winning these things. So I was, I did a, you know, Harriet Tubman and, you know. But you had a very color. thick, you had a very, a very thick, thick New York accent. I was obviously a Jew in black makeup. Because right. that's not legal and not okay. So, uh, eyeballs. Anyway, but everybody kept looking that night at Quincy Jones to see if it was okay to laugh at me. So that night's pageant turned into a pageant, like a real pageant. And when I got to New York, I was in the dressing room. They had us going into hair and makeup based on what number we were to go on, you know, on stage and do our audition. I was supposedly number eight. And then Lauren switched me to number two, and I don't know why, so they had to rush me through I that. I don't like it. I, I don't know. <laughs> meanwhile, yeah, really. meanwhile, meanwhile uh, Victoria Jackson... Who's, you want to call me crazy? <laughs> so Victoria Jackson comes into the room and she's like, so I need to talk to you for your audition, or something like that. And I said, we have to do five different characters. And she said, oh, all I had to do was a handstand on a desk. And I'm thinking, fuck you. you know, that's what so the woman who went before me was a beautiful statuesque blonde from L.A. And really, after about 20 seconds, they get what you're driving at. 
she's decided to sing New York, New York as Liza Minnelli, the entire song. And then she just went delicately into a corner to pick out earrings for her next character. It took forever, her audition. After her audition, Lauren stood up and had a temper tantrum and said he was going to stop the entire audition if the thing wasn't sped up. I was number two, so I don't remember it very much except that it went fast, but Carol Rosenthal, who goes out with Faith Soloway, was auditioning as well, and the entire audition, by the way, they said it would be a closed audition, there were 75 people at least in the room, people were bringing their cousins to watch like us kid get killed by the lions at the Coliseum, I mean it was crazy, oh we were also on short, uh, on the TV monitors all through the building of 30 Rock, um, it was crazy. But I got through it, and I remember thinking the audition itself was fine. What I found out two years later was that they were worried I would be a chatty Kathy on the set. That's what I found out from a friend who was on the show. Okay, this is what I heard in the okay. rumor mill. Okay. That you had met with Lauren, mm -hmm. okay, which is typical if you're, if, if you're being considered. Right. He will then... We went on a walk. Okay, and that you, you talked your way out of the job. Mm, not really. Okay. Because he wouldn't have... He had a meeting with people... And then he sent them to New York. He met with Kate Flannery and somebody else as well, and then didn't send them to New York. So if I had talked myself out of it, I wouldn't have gotten to New York. Meeting with Lauren didn't happen after New York. It happened before New York. No. Okay. No. That was, that was but they were worried I'd be a chatty Kathy on the set. Plus, no offense, I was really immature. I mean, I've done everything ass backwards in my life. But knowing you, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of belaboring this point, you did, and so did I, we, would, we, we were talkers. We would, you talked a lot more than you do today. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. Um, off stage, you can be insecure, you can be neurotic. You're look, you can this be is look now or then? No, this is now. Oh, okay. 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 You, you can be looking for approval. But when you're on stage, you are fearless. Yeah. How do you make that switch? You know what? I don't think I'm insecure off stage anymore, but I'm sure I probably was big time for mm -hmm. many, many years. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I think the reason that maybe people like us talk a lot or whatever is because we're insecure or we're shy and we're just going to do whatever it takes to fight it by is, like barreling through it. Is Susan Messing really shy? I think I shut the fuck down off stage a lot. I okay. do. I think I'm a lot. I'm a lot more well, animated. In terms of what? I'm, I'm a lot, maybe I'm just more mellow now, uh -huh. but I mean, I'm perfectly happy with my own company or just hanging out or, you know, I don't feel any of that, you know, like me need. Mm -hmm. My girlfriend, Lauren, wanted me to ask this question because okay. she helps me prepare this because okay. I can't do this alone. She said, you're, you know, as a mom, yeah. you know, you're performing like four nights a week. No, I'm not. No, okay. No. But you're performing a lot. Not? Okay. I went down from doing 11 different shows a week at the... I thought I... We used to do shows all over the yeah. city. I would go do a Herald, and then I would jump in my car and do Coed, and then jump in my car and do Upright Citizens Brigade. Uh -huh. So I was doing 11 different shows in all different locations. When I was doing 11 different shows a week at The Annoyance, I thought I was cheating because it was one location. Same thing with Second City. It was down eight shows a week at Second City. Once I had Sophia, I was down to one show a week. Okay. And then sometimes I'll do, like these last two weeks I've done some benefits uh -huh. or like a special show like this, but that's, that's an anomaly. Well, that's how do you find the day. balance? I mean, you're messing with the friends at 1030 at night. Yes. I, I mean, if, That's hard. Yeah, that's really hard. How do you wind down after that? I don't. Thursday night is incredibly difficult for me. After a show I am up, and I don't stay at the theater, I go home because I'm relieving a babysitter, but I am up until about 3 in the morning 
and then I have to be up at 6.30. So I'm almost in tears. Anything I can like do the night before, I will. The coffee is set, her clothes are out, everything that could be possibly done is done the night before. So that, that kind of balance, and also I try to do most of my teaching while she's at school. Except for this is the second week of school and already they had a teacher in-house thing. Which I was like, what the fuck do you have to talk about? I <laughs> started school. Right? So that was a lot. Okay, you did main stage. Yes. Yes, you did. Is the point? <laughs> I love you, Susan. I love you more. I, do you? I really do. Okay. The most. You did main stage. Yes. Now I'm very self-conscious about pointing. I'm just excited. I'm Let's, excited I'm too. I'm excited. You did main stage. Now, how does Susan Messing's style fit inside? You know, Second City has their own kind of a little history there, 50 now, years. Now, you haven't heard this this story on the street? I have, but I, I okay. want you to talk. <laughs> what happened was, I needed an artistic challenge. You can always sense in yourself when you are coasting and you're, you're resting on your petty laurels and there's something new. Uh -huh. So I thought I was going to go to L.A. again to challenge myself to try to be an artist in L.A., which is stupid. Um, but I thought, you know, suck it up. Let's see if we can do that. And Mick said, what would keep you in Chicago? And I said, an artistic challenge. At the time, um, my friend Christina Dunn Anderson said, well, why don't you ask Mick if you could do Second City? And I said, I can't assume that. You can't just walk on a stage. Even though I've been an improviser for 12 years, I still never made the assumption that you couldn't go through, you had to go through the steps. Right. You had to, Suck cock, wash dishes, and go in Torco. Like that's it. Right? where are you with it? Did you get that? Because I want the students to, to know how to get to second city. That's the old times, right. not the right. new times. Anyway, but I, I'm, I'm being glib, and of course that wasn't good. But when I got to, when I, I, she said, well, why don't you ask me? And I said, that is so presumptuous and awful. Plus, I was doing a lot of voiceovers at the time and a lot of teaching. I couldn't just go on the road and tour. I had too many in-town responsibilities if I chose to stay in Chicago. And she said, well, go ask Mick. And I'm just like, oh, this is going to be the worst conversation of my life. So I go up to Mick, and I, ne I don't even ask to do craft service on my friend's films. I won't ask for anything. It's like embarrassing. You're, you're more of someone who it's easier for you to give than it is. It's so much easier. I cannot ask for anything. Right. So I went up to Mick. And I said, this is going to be the worst minute of both of our lives. <laughs> and, and I said, if there is a list of people to be considered for main stage, because I know he was directing the next show, and I've been directed by Mick so many times, I said, would it be possible to put me on this list of people to be considered? And that's the most direct you can be at oh, this point. Oh, it's so awful. As I'm saying this, Mick is pulling a list out of his pants. And he said, Where was this? Was this, this was a bar the, at Lake? This was at, on the stairs of the Clark Street space. Okay. And he the annoyance Clark Street space. The annoyance Clark Street space. Second space we had. And he said, well, they haven't bought Eddie fully yet. They put him in Turco. Eddie Furman was at the annoyance with you. But they bought you. And I just asked for it. It was one of the few times in your life you're, ah, see, you shall receive, type of thing like that. But then Kelly Leonard called me into his the, office. The producer the, of Second City. At the time. And, right. Uh, now he's the vice president. But at the time he was the producer. And he called me into his office and he said, we are worried that you're going to go annoyance on us. Which means, I guess, I guess they thought it meant cunty titty titty potty. Right. Or it could have meant, meant a three-way. I didn't have one. Why are you looking okay, at me? Okay, I'm just saying. 
the orgies that they had, I stepped yeah. over in order to get to the bathroom. I mean, I the never, annoyance of legendary. I never, yeah. I yeah. never had, I just, and I really did. You'd have to go up into Mick's loft, and then I'd like, excuse me, pardon me. Pardon did me, you really me. see three ways? I would always joke about that. I didn't see that, three ways. I saw, I saw just a bunch you, of people Orgy, really? I didn't see them doing it. Okay. But, but it was obvious that they had. Okay. Because the annoyance... The annoyance was legendary we for the, the cool, park. We were the cool. We well, were, for retarded kids, we were pretty we guess, cool. Yes, <laughs> And hopefully we, we, we would have spawned retarded kids. I mean, no, no. My child is so much more involved than I okay, ever been. Right. Anyway, so especially out of her parents. I mean, I'm pretty right. impressed. Anyway, but uh, what were we talking about? Oh, so Kevin told me he was worried that I was going to go that way. Right. And he said, for your first show here, he didn't even say first show. He just said, we're going to have to put a rule on you, which is you can't go blue on our stage. And I thought, weird, that's odd. But at the same time, my desire to be at the table has always superseded the weirdness I have to go through in order to be at the table. And so I said, of course. And I thought, okay, well, the worst thing I'm going to have to do is, you know, stretch some other muscles. But at the same time, I would see scenes where, like, Kevin Dorff is going down on, you know, on anybody on stage. And I'd be like, that looks like so much fun. <laughs> I'd be kind of sad about it. And, but, but I searched other muscles, and I do understand why they did it. Even though I think we had evolved by then. I don't think we were... I, I think being uncensored is a misnomer. I think they think it means going blue, when in fact it just means that content is protected by the way you walk into the space. You walk into the space and... Anything you do and say is protected because it is the annoyance, not because it's so verboten or crazy. It's just that you don't have to watch yourself. Whatever comes out is going to be right. So I watched myself very carefully there because I didn't want busloads of tourists from Hyde Park to be offended by me. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I wanted to be an integral part of a whole. So I did it. And then the second show, although I did create one scene there called Slut, <laughs> so you had to call it by a different name. I, well, no, it? that's what Mick called it. Okay. I mean, in the running order. But what I did was I created this woman who came back to her high school reunion with her daughter. Tammy played my daughter. Tammy Sager. Tammy Sager. And I was so excited to come back because I was a lawyer now and I was specializing in asbestos cases and or something like that. I was a real bigwig. And no matter and what the theme of the scene was, no matter what, when you go back to school, if you were the school slut, you're still going to be the school slut. So they really <laughs> fucked with me hard and slutty. And I had to be the straight person in the scene, and everybody went blue around me. So I thought I was pretty genius. <laughs> piece of cheese, piece of cheese. <laughs> so, so that's what I did. But then the second show that I did, uh, Kelly called me into his office, and he said, you did everything we asked you to do. And now you can do whatever you want, whatever you want. And I just went, I, for some reason, I felt less freedom in that second show and then the first one. I don't know what it was. And how did you leave Second City? I left Second City because... Um, did you leave or did they... They invited me to leave, but not in the <laughs> they, they did it extremely nicely because I wasn't fired, fired. Jeff Richmond was coming up as the director on main stage, and I was a Mick girl. I wasn't a Jeff girl. Uh -huh. And there was a, a wonderful girl named Angela Shelton uh -huh. who had done about six shows in Detroit, two in Toronto, two in ETC. And the only way you, at the time you could really bring someone up is you kind of take them by the hand and say, this is who I want. And he wanted Angela. Now, the irony was that Angela, um, I think, gave her notice for that main stage show the night of opening. And I think I turned to Jeff Richmond that night, I think, 
I don't know, maybe we were all on shrooms, I can't remember. Um, not anymore, but then. And I turned to him and I said, I wouldn't have quit your show, and I just walked away with a shroom. But, but they retired me extremely well. I mean, they, they couldn't have been more gracious, and frankly, I love being an alumna. I think it's awesome. The fact that I got to do it without... I had taken classes at Second City, but when I started, I never could see myself at Second City. Everybody at the time, in the like late '80s, early '90s, were still in this kind of typed thing. There was well, like, were those there was like the fat, weird guy, yeah. the cervic, tall, I'll stand around and judge you guy, and the women. There was always like a woman who was incredibly funny and bizarre looking, or made herself look exceptionally bizarre looking, but she was hysterical. And then there was always a funny woman who kind of grounded it all, but a pretty woman. And I thought, well, I'm not pretty enough to be pretty, and I'm not goofy enough to be goofy, so I never thought that I was allowed to be there. So I always kind of loved my Second City friends. We always went and supported them every single opening uh-huh. night, no matter where they were doing it. I loved them, and I kind of felt sorry for them, because I thought, oh, they have to do eight of the same shows every week, when in fact we got to do eight, you know, 11 different shows every week, so I thought we were doing better. And another thing, too, people don't realize, back in the 90s, we, the annoyance, artistically, had surpassed Second City at that point. It wasn't, sur- I don't want to say surpass it. I do. Okay. <laughs> it's apples and oranges, but we were definitely considered extremely subversive, and maybe, and we weren't being subversive for subversive's no. sake. It was just the way we viewed everything. And I think it was extremely popular, and maybe at the time, Second City had to kind of look at itself and say, we need to reinvent ourselves for a modern age. Scenes that used to have beginnings and middles and ends now started in the middle. Um, they twisted things. Things started looking more like a herald um, in, t- in Pinata Full of Bees and things like that. So you could just see that kind of evolution. And then they started getting a little more subversive as well. Mm-hmm. I think we should improvise now. We've okay. been talking a lot. Yeah, we've been talking yes, a lot. And I'm just, you know, I'm very conscious of improvising. And so what do you want to do? What do you, what, what do you want to do in terms of improvising? I guess we should just... Uh, what do you do when... I've done messing with a friend, but just... How does that... I just ask for a word and we just fuck around for a while. Alright, so do you want to take a word? Sure, I'll take a word. Anything. Toothpaste. Toothpaste, Toothpaste. thank you so much. These trial sizes, you know. Why are you so angry? Because we're on vacation. You're not supposed to be angry on vacation, Carl. A nice little cabin we got. Great. What? I said it's great. I think you need stupid little toothbrushes too. <laughs> Was it, I? It's, I did it so we could get through customs with it. Oh. I couldn't hear what you say. You have to turn on the water every time you oh, want to use it. Oh, jeez, you're kidding me. Well, it's if you got to. So if you want cold and hot, you got to turn them on at the same time. <laughs> what is it about England that makes you have to like? like we're not in World War II anymore. You're <laughs> the- Those little towels. They're such little towels. I can't dry my body off. Okay, now I understand why you're angry. We're on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> You want to go out and sightsee? Yeah, sure. Okay, what do you want to see? Uh, I want to see a coffee shop. 
We're not in Amsterdam. We're in we're in England. I know. Ellie. They don't have ink. They don't know. have coffee shops. They have pubs. Well, Larry at work said they got. You go to these coffee shops and they're great. See, if you let me bring one of the guidebooks, I could look in it. I but told I guess you, it's it too, much, wait, too much. Too much weight. Too much weight. Weight. You're trying to sound like an Englishman already. Well, when you're in Rome, you want to do what the Romans do. Okay. I want to just fit in. I don't want. Well, they don't. To... Okay, number one, they don't have coffee shops. You're not going to fit in. <laughs> so say we want to go to the pub for a pint. We now want to go to the pub for a pint. How's that? That sounds fine. <laughs> you know, I remember when we were young, a vacation for us was an opportunity to rip our clothes off and fuck all over the goddamn room. Is what yeah. we used to do. That's what we used yes, to do. You're absolutely right. But now we don't do that. We don't do it. No. It's like roommates go to another location. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for letting me bring my baby floss. Well, you're welcome. Just use a couple inches. Don't. Because we've got a whole week, Helen. You know what? I could actually buy English floss at Boots. Did you see how expensive English floss is? It's $14. It is not $14. It is too. bought it at the regular store. You go to a regular pharmacy or whatever the hell it is. You know what's interesting? What? When we were young, I would never do any of my bodily function things around you. Did you notice in the morning I always looked so fresh? Yes. Do you know why? Because I, I, you went in the bathroom and you put makeup on. Before you woke up. Ten yes. minutes before yes. you woke up. You I know what I love too? What? We first, you wouldn't fart in the bed. You I don't fart that much. You do too. I, I would sit. I would sit in the bed, and you would go. Oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. And then and, I'd fart. In the and bed. I could hear it like you were doing it right in the yeah. Grand Canyon. Yeah. <laughs> Which I shouldn't have done. I should have gone into the hallway because then you wouldn't have even heard that. I turned the fan, the overhead fan. I never would have, but you never did that. I never did that because you know why? Because I don't like the overhead fan. <laughs> Did you ever think of... Why is it that men can do the most disgusting things and we go, oh, they're men. And then women do it and you go, ew, I'm not attracted to you anymore. I just thought I'd put that out there. I was just thinking about... You know, if I took a drug test right now, I'd have a poppy seed. We also did a lot of drugs. We did. We did a lot of drugs. Why are you here? Because I want to be closer to you. No, you know what? You're pushing the intimacy right now. Because because I said... This always happens. This always happens with you on vacation. Yeah, well, it That's does. why we're only going to England for two days. Because you can't take it. Come over here. Because you now. probably got a Groupon deal. <laughs> okay. Well, I got a Groupon deal. Yeah, yeah, big deal. Come on. See, you got to talk me into this. So what? Talk me into it. No, that is not going to do it. Because right now it just feels like you're doing the Heimlich on Just imagine you've got a piece of beef lodged in your throat. <laughs> you always used to laugh at that. I did. I did. I'm, I'm smiling. <laughs> okay, but that's still not going to make you wet. Okay. Speaking of which, you didn't let me bring the cream. Oh, you know what? I need you, the cream. Here's the thing. You think you're dry down there. I you're think not. I'm, no, no. You I just, am dry down there. You just don't care. <laughs> the difference. You, you go, it feels just like normal. And I'm going, 
sandpaper. <laughs> grade three. Right. I mean, there's just gradations when, of it. I don't know. So when you say sandpaper, I just think that, that you're signal that you're orgasm. I <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what I like about a big person. We get out of our, we get out of our comfort zone. Comfort zone, and then we discover things about each other that we don't know what we're like. But I would never have known. Well, you know what? Here's a weird thing. I still have the same body, and I still have the same brain. Why can't you ask me that kind of stuff at home? Why do you just assume? Why do you assume everything's fine? Because we have this routine. You're, 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 you're not that doesn't mean it's fun. Well, here's a, Every I, I year just, I get a mammogram. Do I go leave? <laughs> it's fun. It's something you do. Well, this is the first time it's been brought up. Okay. But that doesn't mean that that's a good thing. Then I'm going to think, oh, great, remember the time we had that big heart-to-heart -heart because we were in England? <laughs> Do you ever think it would have been different if we had had kids? Wow. Wow. Because <laughs> we, we've never talked about it, really. Wow. We really never talked about it. I guess no. it's just because we just assumed that we were such free people that we couldn't do that for I just can't imagine you being a father, honestly. I don't mean that as a bad thing. I just can't I don't think you'd have the patience. You can you make me you are the first man who made me take my shoes off before I walked into a house. Well there's a, a logical explanation for that. Right, because you're worried about the germs and the dirt on the floor. Yes. Right. And you, we love white carpeting. Children are all germs and dirt, sweetheart. I understand. But I, don't you think if we had enough hand sanitizer in the house that I could get used to it? <laughs> because I don't think children are things that you tolerate. I think you'd be a good father, like, in the 50s. <laughs> and I don't think you'd be a good father for the 11s. Well, you've seen my, you've seen my dad. He yeah. was a good father. Oh, he was a fantastic father. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't. But you weren't like him. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> he was successful. Oh, I don't think you're unsuccessful. Don't even start with that. I do. Don't even start. I with, do. Don't look at me in the eye. I, I don't think I'm successful. I think you are wildly successful. Because I wouldn't have tolerated you all these years. <laughs> I'm serious. I never. I just wish I could have provided a better life for you. We both have jobs. I don't care. I didn't expect it you to work. I didn't want you to work. I'm not in the 50s. <laughs> I'm fine. I was totally fine contributing to the household. And if we had had kids, I think that would have made you feel more like a failure. Because then you would say, oh, we need your income. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, it gives us the opportunity to take a Groupon trip to Europe. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? But we're not getting any younger. Of course we're not. Would you want somebody to take care of us? Is that, yes. Oh. Yes. Oh, well, then that's having children for the wrong reason. Well, <laughs> because I, if we had sons, we'd be screwed. What do you mean by that? Sons don't care unless we raise them Jewish, and we'd never let that happen. No. <laughs> I'm as anti-Semitic as the next I know. Guy. I'm surprised I married a Jew. I know. And then you know the baby would have been Jewy. Right, because, because the, the mother's mother. Jewy. <laughs> so forget about that. Yeah. I mean, I can't even get you practically to a Jewish holiday. I no. don't want to tell you Rosh Hashanah's coming up because I don't want to make a stink. I'm not going to make a stink. You I'll go for 10 minutes and I'll leave. I'll make an appearance. That's yeah. what I do every I know year. You, do. you always try to trick me with the food. Oh, it's good food. It's, it's the, the same best. food every year. I know. <laughs> oh, it's just four hours in the car for 10 minutes. 
you know what? But remember in the beginning, four hours in the car was a blowjob down on me, and what else? And then we'd stop at a Shoney's and fuck in the back. So that used to be a joyride, my friend. Remember the time that we went to Indiana and we got pulled over yeah. by that cop? Yeah. You were giving me a blowjob? Yeah. <laughs> it was so Garpy. Yeah. <laughs> World according to Garpy. Oh, Garpy. Garpy. I thought it was so, something that you yeah. swallowed. No. <laughs> now, for a Jewish woman, I was pretty cool. Yeah. You're one of the few Jewish women that I know that enjoys uh, oral sex. I don't know how much I enjoy it. Really? You're always smiling. You always say it was great. You always how do you smile when you've got a dick in your mouth? That is silly. Uh, I learned so much about this. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. I didn't say that you weren't successful. I'm saying that's part and parcel for sharing time with people. This is really turning me on. Oh, for God's no, sake. Really. I'm yelling at you. Yes, just like my mom. You, I, I, every okay. time... That's the time out. Put the dicky down and let's I talk about your I can't put it down. Oh my God. I really, no, honestly, I can't. Yes, so yes, crazy. yes. Ah! Yes. Okay, stop. Stop. You used to love this game. I, it's a good game, but right now we're not going to play a game. We're going to talk. Put your dick down. Oh my God. I can't put it down. I have down. never seen it come up that fast. I can't even. Mother. I, wow. think it's the, I think it's the time difference in England. <laughs> Just I'm touch it loud. down. Just push it down. I don't want to push it. I don't want to break well, it. Well, talk it down then. <laughs> we have to get the ceiling tiles fixed. That's that not working. That's just... making it go even more. <laughs> you know ceiling tiles turn me on. That is <laughs> I work at Home Depot. I know, I know. <laughs> Let's just get it down. Come on. Children. It's going down. Yep. <laughs> God, um, open the, the floor for just a, for a couple of questions to talk about our improv or any question you have for Susan. Hi, Jerry. Okay. Hi. Uh, there's a lot of things to respect you for, but one of the things that I truly respect you for is when you did make main stage, <clears throat> I was taking a class with you that met Thursday nights at the annoyance, and I figured, okay, it's over. You rescheduled it for Sundays. Aw. Well, of course I did. Well, the fact that you say, of course I did. Yeah. That's my point. Aw, Jerry. <laughs> you know, when we started out and anybody said they wanted to be a teacher or a director, remember, we thought they sold out. And now, Really? Yes, yes. I remember... I had such respect for my teachers. Did you? For the most part. There was one teacher who I won't name. Can I guess? No. <laughs> he was at Second City and he used to hit us with a rolled up newspaper oh. in some competitive game that I did not understand why. Did you have your clothes on? Yeah. Okay. And it was our warm-up. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking, what the fuck does this have to do with improv? And then I remember going home, like shaking, thinking, one day maybe I'll be a teacher and I won't hit my students because this is a horrible feeling. I did not see it that way. Okay. When, after I performed for a while, my whole thing was I was so glad not to be kicked off stage. And I will feel that way for the rest of my life, whether you call that fake humble or not. I'm telling you. I'm that waiting, I believe. I'm waiting that for I believe. Oh, Susan, thanks. Honestly. Thanks. Um, but 
I people ask, you know, after a while people say, oh, would you watch this? And so I'd watch it and I'd coach something or, or direct something that, and I never thought of myself I'd be a coach or director. And then Sharna started, I guess Mick asked me and Jody Lennon to teach a woman's class. And I kind of was bummed because I was like, well, I want to teach a people class, not a woman class. Why would you do that? And Mick said, well, maybe he didn't use these words, but I finally got the idea, oh, they have predominantly women's colleges for a reason. All the women at the Annoyance were beyond evolved in terms of fearless, but around the city it wasn't happening. So they wanted a woman's class to kind of make them make bold choices too. So I taught that class, and then I said to Sharna, I'd like to teach for you. And she said, well, if you teach for me, you have to coach first. And I said, I don't know, like you've got some teachers there have been teaching for five years who started five years after me, you know what I mean? But she said, you have to coach. I said, fine. So for a year and a half of my life, all I did was coach. And if you've ever been a coach, it's not easy. I coached three teams at the same time. All I did was go to their shows, take notes, and coach them. And as I was doing it, I was teaching, I was making up the craziest ass exercises you could possibly create and then making them do it. And then finally I showed a syllabus to Sharna and I said, you need this level. I've created a brand new level for you. And to her credit, I had done my homework and I thankfully she bought it and I've been doing it ever since. You know, so, so that's been nice. For me, I don't think that it's selling out. I don't think it's, I, an ex, my ex-husband once said to me, and he said, oh, are you going to hold this over my head now? But at the time he said to me, um, <laughs> he said, what are you going to be, an improv teacher for the rest of your life? And I said, well, if it creates a stable environment for my child and I have something to add to this world, you bet. Because my idea is if, they get, if, if everybody gets better, then we all have more people to play with. And maybe that's stupid and, you know, bells and flowers and all good things, but I've always felt that way, and maybe that's the Kool-Aid well, I and, and, No, I, I think that's why, I mean, you're not only thought of as an improviser, but I think you're also thought of as this wonderful teacher. Oh, that's nice. You know? Uh, another question for Susan Massey. That was or, a comment. That was a comment? That was a question. <laughs> Don't be shy. Yes. yes. In the set that you just did, where did you feel the, uh, the energy shift, and what were the points when you got into a different a different thing than what you were doing before you got into the different thing. Oh, you mean from like a serious moment per se, or just however you choose to define it? When did it when did it shift when you started doing something else? I think with Jimmy, he's so damn honest. You can't ignore any moments and go on to your next better thing. You just have to deal with it. And I felt a shift too. Like, oh, we're gonna really like dive into that thing. We can't futz around and go on to something next better. It's too important. You know what I mean? Because I think when you're watching it, I'm asking myself the same, like, you want to know about people. And the more I know about this person, the more I want to deal with what we are as well. And that's why when things start repeating, but repeating maybe the softer tone or something, an energy shift, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a when as much as you just follow that light. Don't you feel? Yeah. I, like, when I was watching you, like, I was really nervous at the beginning of the scheme because I... Because that's my natural. That that's how I started. But, but the scene he didn't start. He started closed in like that. And I'd much rather deal with what's in front of me ever than invent anything. Like I got a great idea for a scene. Because when I have a great idea for a scene, I go home and write some sketch or stand up. And that's a different kind of accessing than funny. Because funny in this doesn't come from. I don't think it comes from saying funny shit. It comes from like specificity. You know what I mean? Like the things that we all can. Like you'll either sympathize with it, empathize with it, or it'll educate. You know what I mean? Like watching them like a car accident or Christian TV. Like, <laughs> well, and then you started to get laughed, which made me a little more relaxed. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, I don't have to carry this. Now I should. <laughs> now, 
like, it doesn't matter if it's a woman or a man. That's that's how I look at uh, how I look at it. So but I'm like, see, you're so interesting because the responsibility for laughter. And you would think that that's like a oh. responsibility, but I think it's a consequence. I think that's what happens. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm I I feel responsible. It doesn't matter if we had 20 people up here. I would feel responsible for it. Got it. So when you got that, then I'm like, okay, great. You know. I'm just gonna, I, you know, I'm Susan. Susan's getting laughed. Eventually, I'll get laughed. Yeah. You know, if if it, and uh, and then I saw this sadness in your eyes. You yeah. know, and I thought a couple times I wanted to bring up, you know, we either we lost a baby, we couldn't have kids, you know, or something like that. And so eventually, it it it, it came up. The tone up. became a little more serious. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like uh, just the subject matter itself. It's one thing to have a crappy vacation or a, you know. An, okay, like where you reach that. But then all of a sudden when you feel that, like that kind of feeling of, oh dear, look where we are right now, where vacation is work. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh. And then I think you can take a moment to let that breathe. And you know, the other thing is, for me, and I had not been in a, in a, in a, a relationship for, a, for like 17 years when you knew me. I mean, it was, yep. yeah. And so now I've been in this relationship with Lauren, who I love, and it's so much fun to take things out of my life and then apply them to the stage. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because she actually does go into the bathroom. She does not, we've only been living together for a month. True, <laughs> Lauren. She'll go into the bathroom and I will hear her fart. She will not fart in, in the bathroom. Well, see, farts never scared me because my dad had a boat called the Passing Wind. My dad didn't dig around. He, he was a fart guy. Like he, went to, he was the guy who had everything, so you would go to Spencer Gifts and buy him farts for him. <laughs> so farts were never scary. You know, I, I, I want to ask you about the... Uh, That's true. <laughs> so sadly true. That, you know, people can do the, you know, talk about what we did, the sex stuff and all that, you know, the potty, whatever, considered potty. I don't think it's potty. I, I understand. I understand. <clears throat> you do it intelligently. There's a lot of people who will see a Susan messing and go out and you know imitate her. But going blue for blue's sake, I don't. I don't think I do that because see, the only way to if I decided to access comedy by saying something raunchy, the only way to heighten that or to be funnier would be to be raunchier. And I remember my friend Emily Candini, who is a hysterical woman. She started a messing with a friend with me. This was her choice. She ripped a tampon out of me. And I'm thinking, oh, we're starting here? Like, no. Like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, there's not many places to fly to after that. So I, I don't see it as something like that. Like I said, if I were doing this at I.O., we, I used to play balls out with a bunch of chicks called uh, Children of a Lesser God on Sunday nights at 1030. And that just seems like a fuck around slot, 1030 on a Sunday night. That's relaxing. And, but I used to insist on giving a disclaimer before the show to the entire audience where I would say, children of a lesser God in no way reflects the teachings and or integrity of I.O. or I.O. West. Because I didn't want them to think that I felt that the content was protected unless I said that. Because I didn't want to poop on their stage. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, I just it surprises me that a Susan Messing would have to put a disclaimer before she... I'm protecting comedy. I don't, I don't walk in and go, I'm a comedian, so I get to say and do whatever I want. There are certain comedians that you watch and that you're like, why am I having trouble watching them right now and why don't I find them funny even though a bunch of people find them funny? It's because it wasn't protected. I use this as an example. Like Carol O'Connor is a, was a very moral man. Archie Bunker was a dickwife. In order to protect Norman Lear's content of making him an absolute racist, sexist, 
uh, hated every religion that wasn't his own, everything was wrong. He, they would make sure to surround him in his stupid comments with people of the same ilk who were smarter than he was. So of course George Jefferson was wildly successful and black, you know, just to rub it in him. You know what I mean? So, so that had to be protected. The comedy, the content had to be protected. I'm not interested in just saying whatever I want and fuck you. Because then you know what the audience wants to say? Fuck you. you. You have to make people be in a position where they feel comfortable enough not only to listen but to, to laugh. Do you know what I'm saying? So I don't, I don't go, I'm Susan Messing, just suck it up. Although I will say this. I did a show in Kansas City. Because uh, they're flying their, you around the country. Right. They, they, they flew me to, San Francisco, to Kansas City for their improv festival. And they put me up at 7 p.m. with messing with a friend. Uh-huh. Now, they didn't just say, hey, come and play. They said, they just do messing with a friend at 7. And I kept turning to the host and going, are you sure you want me at 7? You know, I saw kids. I'm like, oh, yeah. So I said to Mark Sutton, we've got to protect this. So when we came out in the intro, I said to Mark, I said, what is the description of my show, Mark? And he said, I think messing with a friend has been described as a joyful, uncensored, and improvised romp through hell. And I just looked at the audience and I said, yes, why don't we F around for a while? And they laughed because they recognized that I was holding, holding back. And after that, they accepted absolutely everything I gave them, even at 7 o'clock on a Saturday night. But I feel great responsibility for that. I did a show once with Colleen Murray. We still talk about it. My show, my time slot, our theater. And, uh, and there was an 11-year-old sitting in the house. And I turned to Jimmy Fitz and I said, why is there an 11-year-old there? And he's like, oh, his parents think he's real, they're super cool. And they think he's real hot. He knows everything. <laughs> and I said, no, no, he doesn't. I don't want that. And they go, no, no, the parents say it's fine. Colleen and I did that show, and everything that would have come out of our mouth that would have normally been construed as playful sounded ugly. It just sounded ugly and wrong. And after that, I went to Jen and I said, please, let us not have children in there, no matter how cool their parents. I don't care if they fucked while I was doing co-ed prison sluts in my 20s. In the I will not have this. And she said, well, I don't like to give that kind of restriction. And I said... I don't feel comfortable doing that. It was like the night we did co-ed prison sluts for a bunch of high school kids at prom. And I'm like, I'm not going to Right? I'm like, who, who scheduled that? You know? I was like, and that cute, playful show, which my mother would even sing along to. And my mom is a New York Times culture vulture. I mean, she don't laugh easily. And she found it adorable. And it's co-ed prison sluts was not adorable. Um, that show was the most disgusting, vile piece of shit that night. You know? One more question before you go. Um, is there any advice after having been uh, improvising all these years if you could turn back to yourself in 1986? Are there, are there, is there any advice you would give yourself? You know what? I could only be who I was at the time that I was that. But I will say this. There's something that I say in all my classes, and I say it backstage, and I say it all the time. And if you don't have fun, you're the asshole. It's a roughie, but a goodie. And I say it all the time, especially to myself, because I would have loved to blame anybody on the planet for my misfortune in life, which isn't my misfortune. It's just a learning curve. You know what I'm saying? But anything that was going wrong, it's got to be somebody else's fault, or I can't play with him, or he's mean, or whatever the fuck it was. It shouldn't matter. If I had known in the very beginning that my path was my path, and my blinders were on, maybe I'd be even more evolved. But I still think that I could only be who I was at the time that I was that, and I think everybody needs to have a little more patience with themselves. But if 
But I think that's why I teach people, is just so that I will first of all have to follow my own talk. When I walk my talk, nobody has more fun and made the consequences a good time in a good show and a good performer because my idea of success is that my friends respect me and I think Jimmy respects me, so I think I'm successful. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, but that's, I think this, I think when I put my blinders on and I said my path is my path, that's when all good things started happening and I started taking responsibility for myself. And I think Chicago has very evolved that way. I think we've had enough teachers in time for people to kind of put that in the lexicon, you know, in the semantic structure here to say, you are responsible for your joy ride. And by that way, that asshole on your team is not the worst person you're ever gonna work with. So figure it out, because these people are put in your life for a reason. And everybody who's been put in my life has helped me along the way, especially the ones who've been hard on me, because they probably taught me the most valuable lessons, even if it's made me crumble. And it didn't kill me, and I did get stronger, and Jimmy Corrine, you can't follow that old she crazy bitch shit anymore because I think I've had a lot of fucking sense. I was just thinking, for all the for all for for all the crap you gave me with my new age artist way stuff like that, I did. you are very, very spiritual. I am? Well that was a that was a great inspiring message. Yeah, but the only way I can call myself a Jew at all, like there's a loophole. Like you don't have, like you can question the existence of God. To be a Jew. Well, don't you think there, there's a, certainly a spiritual aspect to improvisation? And I think it's table manners. I think it's golden rule, <laughs> right? It's very golden ruley, and I think religions wanted to be founded on golden rule instead of beat the man down and say go mookie mookie and pooka pook, you know, <laughs> get you to God, right? Susan Messing, thank you so much no, for being my guest. Thank you for being for having me. I hope you guys are all nerded out because I am totally nerded out. I really like talking to Susan and uh, I like clearing things up about her Saturday Night Live audition, her, her allegedly being crazy. And um, if you do get to sh uh, into Chicago, I would definitely check out Messing with a Friend. It's uh, at the Annoyance Theater in, uh, on Thursday nights at 10.30 p.m. And you can also find us at Facebook, Improv Nerd, or you can go to jimmycarain.com for more information. I'd like to thank my producer, Ben Caprero. And uh, joining us uh, for uh, episode two will be... Mr. Michael Gelman, the author of the co-author of Process and uh, longtime teacher and director at Second City. Hello, I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Young. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. <laughs> suicide Buddies. <laughs> That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, one of the reasons it's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. He's, like, I mean, if yeah. you lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> 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 That's like literally what happened to Batman. <laughs> he literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a, I'm a bat. bat. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs>
<laughs> I'm a bat. That helps people. I'm a, I'm a I don't know what you want from me. And, uh, my, and my, my girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a I bat. Help people. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My, uh, my, 